Hello, this is Dr. Amy Lindsay, and I'm here to remind you that the information in this podcast is not medical or other professional advice. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only. You should not rely on anything you hear as a substitute for professional care by a doctor or other qualified medical professional who is familiar with your personal situation. Listening to this podcast may, however, give you a sense of belonging, make you spit take your coffee, realize that DJs can do more than play music, uplift you during a shit day, teach you that sometimes doctors swear too much, or remind you that you are not alone. So Amy, we are currently being filmed by King 5 News. We're doing a segment on us and the doctor and the DJ podcast. And we were pretending to talk, but I decided to hit record just now. All right, Amy, uh, this is a new segment I'm, I'm introducing to the show because, okay. you know, we're famous podcasters now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, I used to just be a famous radio DJ. So welcome. Now you're a famous podcaster. Which you are too now. You're, you're part of this deal now. Your favorite <laughs> thing, being a public figure. So um, this is our new segment. What do you talk about when someone's filming you to show what you're talking about on a podcast? Is it an actual segment? We could play Name That Lyric, except for you would win every time. <laughs> that seems like a terrible idea. We talked about, um, we, we were just talking about, without the mic recording, because we were pretending to talk, but talking, about our bar trying to reopen during a pandemic. So small business owners trying to function during a pandemic. It's been nearly impossible. Yes. Because... We didn't want anyone to get sick, so we were already riding that train of, we got to shut down. We're putting our staff at risk. We're putting the public at risk by coming into this bar. And so we shut down on our own, and it was like a day later, we got the stay-home order from the governor. But then here's the thing. Then what, right? Like, we still have bills to pay. We still have rent to pay. We we laid off 25 people who suddenly were out of work. And what did they do? We were their employer. And- all the money coming in went away, and then all the money going out kept going, <laughs> except for paying our staff. But there, but uh, all the other bills kept going. And so, yeah, then you get loans and stuff, but no one knows what's going on. It's a pandemic. And so they're like, oh, this loan and that loan and this grant and that grant, and you're applying for everything. So we had to hire people during a pandemic where we have no money to help us with those things that could help us loan money to stay open so we could lose money. Well, the Small Business Association did do tons of webinars. Yeah. And I feel like every day I was on one of those webinars. Yeah. Learning and and people would ask questions and they'd say, yeah, we don't know. I mean, it was a lot of that. That's right. And we, so we were told to shut down. Yep. We were shutting down anyway, but we did shut down. And then we're left there to borrow money if we wanted to. And watching businesses close borrow, left and borrow right. Money. Borrow money. And then businesses <laughs> all around us are closing. And then we stay open because to, to get the money, we had to stay open. So we stay open losing tens of thousands of dollars a month. Turns out when you build a bar based on community and people being in the bar, that's a very different business model than takeout. So uh, to sum up uh, owning a, a bar during a pandemic, don't do it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) what you should do is you should check the market for if there's going to be a pandemic or not. That's right. And then you should also check the pulse on the country you live in to see who's at the helm of the federal government. And then you should check to see if those people pay attention to science. And then you should check to see if you live somewhere where public health is going to be taken seriously. Right. And then you should drink all the booze in your bar because no one's buying them anyway. Which I believe we did. Yeah. Hey, 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 it's the doctor and the DJ, doctor and the DJ.
we didn't drink all the booze in our bar and we managed to reopen, which is very exciting. Elections matter, but no small feat for sure. All right, coming up on today's Doctor and the DJ podcast, we're going to talk parenting and Minecraft parties. We're also going to have Janet Wise, formerly of Slater Kenny and of Quasi Fame, joining us for the interview today. Amy's going to answer some questions about how to advocate for yourself when you're in the hospital. She also talks about a thing called a blood curse. It's pretty awful. So another segment I want to talk about in our new uh, series, <clears throat> what to talk about when you're being filmed by your friend Jose here, um, who I worked with. Uh, I did magazine. a segment. Yes. Uh, if you're in Seattle, I work on evening and it's on King 5 and they were, they've been nothing but awesome with KEXP. Uh, and Jose and I got to know each other. Um, he was always great coming to the station. And my segment was to talk about What's going on around in Seattle music-wise for you to attend? One of the first things to go in this pandemic, friends, is the guy telling you where to go in Seattle during the <laughs> pandemic. That's like the first thing you cut on that show. Like, okay, John, you're out. So I had nothing to advise you to go do. I was well, very sad. Well, they shut down all the clubs. Well, there's really no more music. Yeah, my thing was over. So um, I was uh, the go-to guy for, you know, where to go. And we used to film at um, KXP. So let me tell you something about being on TV. This old school media, okay? We're not going to talk about social media right now. But you talk about radio, TV, and newsprint, right? Printed on Printed paper. It. To this day, God is my witness. I don't care how old you are. <laughs> if I'm in the paper, that's when people are like, oh my God. Oh, look at that guy. That John Richards, he's in the paper. Like, you want to be like, dude, I'm on the air like every day. Every day you can turn on the radio. And I'm like trying to create community and like do this music thing. You're like, yeah, but you were in the paper. But because they can't clip you out of your radio show on air. Yes. But the paper, they can clip you out of yes. the paper and get, hang you on the fridge. I get, yeah, I get more response. And then when I'm, when I was doing the TV thing, it'd be awesome. I remember at a Mariners game, this is, uh, and this would happen to me, but I'd be like, guy would come up to me and be like, oh, hey, oh, yeah, I love what you're doing. I'm like, oh yeah, thanks. Uh, yeah. Do the radio show. He's like, no, nah, I don't know anything about that. I saw you on King five on the evening. You do a great <laughs> job over there. I'm like, oh yeah, yeah, that's, that's what I do. Yeah. That's you know, it was like, and I get two minutes a week and that was how he identified me. Like, no, I remember that. This is I've it. been with you when. And they do that. I've been with you in those moments. They're like, hey, you're on TV. Yeah. That I, again. So what I'm telling you is radio is last place. That is what I'm telling you in the hierarchy. It is like, well, you have a little more authority than social media because, you know, anyone can be on social media, right? I don't have to apply for that. So I at least had to apply for a job. So I'm on the radio. But I got to tell you about the TV thing. That really nice man at the Mariners game, you know, he was, he was an older gentleman. And you know what he said to me? I trust you with my, your musical recommendations. And even if I don't go see the shows, I look up those musicians. I've discovered so much music. I'm like, high five, man. Because he can see your face. That's, he trusts me. He can see me. Yeah, exactly. And he can see your handsome face. They can't see how handsome you are when you're on the radio. Thank you very much, Amy. Like I've said, I've got a perfect uh, face for radio and it was wasted. So they put me on the TV. 
<laughs> so, so this is my big return. So I'm recording my podcast talking about my radio show, and this will be on the TV. Now, if I could just get someone from the Seattle Times down here to take a shot. Boy, you'd be really famous I got the tri quadfecta, whatever that, the four thing is. I don't know what that is. Where does that leave me? (laughs) I don't know. This is about me right now, clearly. (laughs) (laughs) Where does that leave you? You're a doctor. You have doctor in front of your name. That's right. You, you, like... I no longer have to choose between, do I go by Mrs. or Ms.? That's right. And I no longer have to get things in the mail that say Mrs. John Richards. By the way, if you ever send me anything in the mail that says Mrs. John Richards, it goes directly in the garbage. Do you know how I... I, don't even recycle that shit. Do you you know how I know when we're getting uh, mail from Utah? (laughs) From Mormons? From her family? (laughs) Yes. Do you know how I know it's from a Mormon? I'm like, this is my brother! It's like... He knows my name. Only her Mormon relatives will do this. My own brother did that with his wedding invite. I'm like, are you serious? There are relatives I've never met of Amy's. Who address, and again, they sent us a letter, so that in itself. But it says, Mr. and Mrs. John Richards, like, Utah's here, Amy. And then I pretend <laughs> well, I'm really Well, from now on, it. it's Dr. and Mr. Amy Lindsay. That's from right. now on, I that is so that's down with the that. thing. I am, you get a special thing that you've deserved, and I get DJ. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> that's, you, you don't even have to apply for that. I had to apply to be like a, a fake minister to do weddings. I, there's no license that I have to get anymore to be a DJ. So I don't need DJ in front of my time. Amy, I'm hitting record on this thing. Uh, I just walked in the office because I feel like the How Fucked Was Parenting segment is happening uh, in real time. Uh, I just finished a run uh, and I just overheard, uh, what is wrong with you? I was trying to have a good birthday, but someone is pouring lava all over my birthday cake house. (laughs) And, And I ran into this room, adding a little more mileage to my run, and am now asking you, is this the birthday party gone bad that we're in the middle of right now? The birthday, by the way, our son's eighth birthday was uh, months ago. She at least two months ago. Uh, two, three months. We're ago. blaming the pandemic. Uh, we're getting around to a party. Uh, we planned it yesterday because uh, we are really bad at certain parts of parenting. Yeah. Well, let's back up. Um, They're playing Minecraft, by the way. That's <clears throat> that's the birthday party. We wouldn't even be having this birthday Cheesecake party this house. weekend. We. Um, <laughs> We had other plans, uh, but we crashed the car. Oh, so right. We crashed the car. And by the royal we. <laughs> you were driving. I may have ran into a car. So you, we are. You crashed into someone going to their vaccine appointment. So I. <laughs> let's back up even further. We were going to go on a nice break to go skiing this weekend. You know, because it's like the most normal you're going to feel when you're on the mountain. 
And um, we're not there because I don't have the car. Uh, because the other day we had to get to our bar to bring the tents down to build the patio during the pandemic. But on the way, stop at the mail place because we have an online store now, a merch store, by the way, go to lifeonmarsseattle.com to order your records and merch. And we have to run all these errands. And this car in front of me is going five miles per hour forever. And I'm frustrated. And he's trying to pull U-turns to get in the ferry line to go over to Vashon Island where we live. You have to, you know, it's a long story, but there's a long line of cars. We don't live on Vashon Island. We do not. He's trying to get there apparently, you know, and, and we learn later because that's where the vaccinations are happening for older folks who can't drive their car anyway. And, and, and so he tries to U-turn the car doesn't let him in. You know how you do that? Like you're not doing it on my watch. So that happened and that has consequences friends. Cause then he slams on his brakes and old John Richards, who's trying to get around him, boom, run right into him. That was the other day. So now Amy throws in Minecraft birthday world. Cause she's trying to be a good parent. I saw an opening, like a crack. There's a crack in the sky. That's right. <laughs> and I had the you know, shit, shit storm. Anyway, we're in the middle of a pandemic Minecraft birthday party. That's like months after our son's actual party. Because when the crack in the sky, the shit storm of our life opened because we crashed the car and we can't have a break going skiing, which is what we were really looking forward to. But, you know. I decided now's the time to do this Minecraft birthday party because he reminded me he had built a birthday world and he'd spent months building a birthday world and why haven't I scheduled his birthday party yet? So, you know, he's like, okay, five people can be in this world and between me and the second grader, we can't do math. And so I said, well, then you only get to invite five friends. Like I can't, I can't do the whole, like invite the whole class and I, I, I'm not capable. I'm going to break. I'm going to snap. I can't, I can't organize all this. But we forgot about him, right? So that's six people in the birthday world. And then some other kid in their pod was having a sleepover or something. They're like, oh, can this kid join? And then I'm like, of course. But then I feel like an asshole because I didn't invite the kid in the first place because he wasn't in the um, the top five people my kid normally plays Minecraft with. That was pretty much the barometer. Who do you normally play Minecraft with so I don't have to deal with this? That you all can just know what you're doing. So yeah, so now we have seven kids and in a birthday world that my son spent forever building that only takes five people. It almost broke me. It's still almost breaking me. We're just really bad at birthday parties and really any social interaction with parents or organization or... We're the parents who like, we're good parents, but then we're terrible parents. I'm good at certain things. Yeah, like I'm not Susan doing the bake sale. I will never... Susan, I did not bake anything for the bake sale. That's never going to be me, right? And he had some math thing once, like bring a hundred of something in a little bag to school. <laughs> oh, yeah. So what uh, did we do? Because they were counting. There was a hundred of something. So we're like, oh, shit, uh, that's tomorrow. What do we got? Cereal, like little puffin that's cereal right. th- things that's or whatever. Right. So we just poured the box of cereal that's out on the right, counter. we did. And we had our kid count the hundred little puff that's right puff things good parents good great parents parents. we got it in the bag we got it to school we did our homework boom our kid can't participate because they were peanut peanut butter (laughs) no it's peanut butter it's peanut butter yeah there's no there's no an anti-gluten free zone at a school there's not not yet (laughs) okay (laughs) but it's a there's it's a peanut free zone and with good reason because people have very serious allergies to the mold on peanuts and so so he can he can bring gluten to school he can bring little- okay. <laughs> <laughs> Even in Seattle. Okay. All right. Just, 
Martha noted. See, there's there's victories hey, there. It, hey, in all fairness, I did figure out how to log into Xbox with my parental controls, and I had to like increase the number of people and refriend all the his friends yeah. and their gamer tags. And we figured it out. We got everybody playing in the world. But then, as John said, you know what happened? Someone poured lava on the birthday house. That's our analogy for parenting. You know, as hard as you try, somebody is always going to pour lava all over your birthday cake house. And this is a little quasi here on the podcast, Amy, I almost said. Here's a little quasi on the morning show on KEXP. Man, you get in front of a microphone and you play quasi enough times, as I've done on the show for years. Quasi's awesome. They've been around for so many years. And I have to say, I'm so excited about our guest on the podcast, Amy. Janet Wise. Janet Wise. She is, uh, well, she was known as a member of Slater Kenny. You know how we feel about that. Your identity as a former member of a band. But that is part of her identity, a former member of Slater Kenny for years, a member of Quasi for even more years, including now. She's also played with Stephen Malcolmus and the Jicks, Wild Flag, LA Weekly placed her in the top 20 all-time rock drummers, and ME did the same in their top 25. She is an amazing drummer to watch. She also just recovered from a pretty horrible car wreck recently, and of course is one of many musicians, well really all musicians, not playing live music during this period. Janet, welcome to the podcast. We thought about you and what you've been through and being in music and, and having to go through this recovery after your wreck. I think there's a lot of compound issues happening right now during this pandemic. Um, it's really been a struggle for people's health. So we wanted to talk to you about that. You know, good times being asked about your wreck. I feel weird asking you to relive that. Um, and I'm sure you have. But um, just first, if you don't mind, can you can you tell us what happened just so people know um, what, what happened and when it happened? It was 2019 that you got in this accident? Yeah, it was August 10th, 2019. It was a car accident. I was driving. I was with my boyfriend and we got T-boned, I guess they call it, you know, hit me, hit the car, like kind of where the front tire is on the driver's side and spun us around. And, um, yeah, it was really super terrifying and like, you know, very surprising. Although when the car started spinning, everything seemed to completely slow down, like into slow motion. And I just very clearly remember just saying, Oh can I swear? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I just said, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, and just the realization that this could change my life, you know, definitely crossed my mind at that moment. Um, and also, I was just terrified that something would happen to Drew, my partner. And yeah, so the car stopped spinning. And basically, the front end of the car is like smashed in from the side. And I asked Drew how he was, and he said he thinks he's okay, and he said, how are you? And I, I just immediately said, 
my right leg is messed up. My left leg is a little bit less messed up and my shoulder really hurts. <laughs> I think I hurt my shoulder and it's like exact. Those are my injuries were exactly that. Like I broke my right leg really badly. I broke my left leg, not as badly. And then I broke my collarbone, but the, um, the guy in the ambulance didn't seem to think I had any broken bones. They were trying to get me to stand up and, uh, I was like, I can't stand up. <laughs> it really hurts. When I got to the hospital, they also were trying to get me to stand up. It was a real drag. <laughs> it, was a, it, was re- it was a real drag, and it was, it was really, really scary. I'm not, I don't show fear very much. Like, when I'm scared, I don't act scared, but it was really scary. Once I knew Drew was okay, I felt better. But I also was like what is going to happen here? <laughs> like what, like, what, you know, did, did my life just completely change? Right. So yeah. So then went to the hospital, but the x-ray machines were down at the hospital. So there was like this really long wait to get the x-rays done. And in that time they thought, well, maybe you could just go home. <laughs> so they're like, why don't you try to stand up and see how you feel? <laughs> Again, stand up. Janet. Again, like, and I was like, no. What's like, wrong I, with you? <laughs> I can't stand up. I mean, I feel like insurance companies always kind of want to get you out. You know, they want to like, well, maybe she can go home. And then I kept having to go back in to get x-rays, like they x-rayed my one leg. And then I said, you know, my left leg hurts too. <laughs> And, you know, my shoulder kind of hurts pretty bad, too. And then so three times I went in to get x-rays, and then I finally sort of figured it out. And then the surgeon came in and said, okay, well, you need surgery, and you're gonna, we're going to do that tomorrow. And, like, it all starts moving pretty quick. So you went from, okay, you need to walk to, okay, maybe you should go home to, okay, you're broken in three different places, and you need yeah. surgery. <laughs> Yeah. And Drew kept saying to me, we were in the, like, waiting for the x-rays. And he kept saying, if your collarbone was broken, you would be, and you'd be crying. You'd be, you'd be screaming in pain. And then I felt so tough after, because I was like, oh, it is broken. And I wasn't screaming in pain. I think you're just, in sh- I was in shock, mostly. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's a lot of disc- extreme discomfort involved in the whole experience. And then... I Googled my surgeon after the surgery, which I feel like the surgery went well, but his bedside manner was like kind of brisk. And I Googled him and he had like a 3.2 rating. And all the complaints were just about like his personality. I think he was a fine surgeon, but um, yeah, he just came in and very like abruptly said like, okay, well, we're going to we're going to put a metal plate in your leg and you won't be able to walk for 12 weeks. You're going to be in bed for 12 weeks. And I'm just like, wait, what? <laughs> like, I'm going to, I'm going to have to what? Like be in bed for 12 weeks. Are you kidding? Yeah. He's like, yeah, you can't put any weight on your leg for 12 weeks. And it's like, oh my. I often feel like surgeons need an interpreter. Yeah. You know, I work in medicine and I work more with like primary care or adjunctive care. I don't work in a hospital. Uh-huh. And a huge part of my job is that like bedside manner, you know, making sure everybody knows what's going on. But anytime I have worked in a hospital or been in a hospital, I always find that, you know, the surgeons, they're, they're just like cranking you out, right? Like they're just like, they've got people to cut open and like, (laughs) you know, organs to yank out and like bones to put together and plates to put in. And it's almost like they skip the communication step. Yeah. And I always feel like there needs to be an interpreter because this this is a common story. (laughs) 
Right. And I, I mean, I, I would rather he be a good surgeon and, you know, he's not my, he's not my buddy. Although his partner did my shoulder surgery, which was at a different time. And he was a little bit more like fun loving. And he, they found out that I was a drummer and then, then they kind of lightened up a little bit and were like, you know, they were a little nicer once yeah. they knew that I was like a rock and roll drummer. <laughs> because they, you know, it's just not every day that this kind of cranky surgeon gets gets a drummer. So he was a little bit warmer, but I, you know, warm is an exaggeration. But you, I, still, I still liked him. I still liked him. When when you think back to that wreck, did you ever have that? If we'd only left five minutes. Early? Oh yeah. Does that does it yeah. still play, or was that just don't, early? Well, don't you think of those? Isn't there a movie where like? Yeah. She goes through one door, but then there's like the parallel life. Yeah. I think about that anyway. If I hadn't opened that drawer, you know, like my whole life would be different. It is kind of incredible to think about that. I always think with the parallel universe, well, which decision? Like, is it I'm going to have a sip of this water and everything's going to change or I'm going to get yeah. in that car that day? And if you don't get in that car that day, then what? Was a like a brick going to fall on your head and kill you, you know? So it's not in either or thing. Like, is it, is, was there a worse scenario that it, this will mess with you. Don't think about this right before you go to bed, by the way. Yeah. I, I mean, I think once you've been through like some sort of heavier experiences, you realize that like the things you learn and the things you take away or the things that you carry with you from these traumatic experiences become like a part of you that you wouldn't want to give back, you know, like, what happened after the wreck was like the support that I got and like the outpouring of, you know, just love and messages and well wishes and, you know, just the people who had my back and took care of me. I couldn't, I couldn't be left alone because I was like a fall risk, you know? So I had to have people with me all the time, uh, which was challenging, you know, cause I'm like on meds and, exhausted and like I'm not good at just being upset in front of people you know so I'm like you know trying to be like I don't want them to be bored when they're here uh, you know but at the end of the day everyone would leave and I would just be sobbing you know just so exhausted and like just freaked out um but it definitely it was very moving the outpouring of care that I got you know, still to this day, like that's way more like of a memory than the memory of the accident, which is recedes, you know, Mm -hmm. I still feel really nervous when like I have to drive by an accident, which happened twice yesterday, like accidents that just happened. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you have to kind of do that thing where you, you kind of jog to one side to get around, like, and just the, the wreck and the smell and the right. glass and like, you know, that, that still kind of freaks me out a little bit. Yeah. I, I kind of have like three, it's like a three parter <laughs> question. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so the first part is, you know, there's so many studies these days about community and healing and how people who experience trauma or experience something where they have to heal from it, like people in hospitals who go through surgery, et cetera, a lot like your case, they heal better and faster when they have people, when their people show up. And so my first question there would be if you felt like that was true. And then the second part 
is it sounds like, you know, it's harder for you to be vulnerable around those people. And so you felt like you had to entertain them. And was that hard for you to be vulnerable like that, to be like laid up and to ask for help and need help and depend on people like that, where probably most of your life you hadn't had to, to that degree? It was excruciating. (laughs) Honestly, like, like, I'm so lucky that my partner, who was in the wreck as well, you know, just didn't, he was just on the other side of the car. I can be vulnerable around him, thank goodness, because, you know, at the end of the day is when it just all would compound and, like, the reality of being hurt and being helpless and not being able to walk and not being able to play music and not knowing if I will be able to play music again, you know, was a, was a lot. But... My sister, who I'm really close with, she moved to Portland right after the accident. So she and her husband came right up like the day, I think it was the day after the surgery. And then she basically stayed and helped take care of me, which made a huge difference and could kind of help, you know, when I think it was just all kind of trial and error. Like we had to have, you know, we had friends around and I loved seeing everyone and, you know, people I hadn't seen in a while came by and checked in and but she would help me like organize that to make sure I wasn't getting too wiped out but I think you know part of this whole experience was like also feeling like some guilt about like you know like this support system that I have and like the fans coming through with like a go you know the GoFundMe and I was able to like buy a ramp for in front you know wheelchair ramp so I could get in and out of the house you know all these things that I was able to do I could make the bed more comfortable and I could do physical therapy and you know part of it was that I felt sort of guilty you know like what about people who don't have anybody you know and who are doing this on their own you know and it's it's still kind of traumatizing. Like yesterday I saw a woman on this in a wheelchair on the sidewalk and she could barely push herself. Like she was going so slow and it's just really painful to imagine being in that kind of situation without all that help. You, you see, you see things differently too. You know, when Amy had a surgery where her ability to walk was really compromised. And so she at point had a cane and had a walker and you, t- you have so much privilege being able-bodied that you don't yeah. even notice um, the sidewalk clearance or, yeah. you know. The doors getting- you can't get in. And- right. The store. Like the store yeah, the is store. the one that blew me away. Like we had to get on the little cart, which was kind of awesome. But at the same <laughs> time, it was so fucked up because like trying to drive that thing and get Amy in and like work yeah. around people was nearly impossible. And I absolutely took that for granted till it happened. Yeah. Yeah, definitely the doorway thing. Like there were just places I couldn't go because I was in a wheelchair. So when I was in the hospital, the nurse said, if you can't get onto this like bedside toilet thing that they wheel next to the next to the bed, they said, if you can't get yourself onto this toilet, then you have to go to like a nursing home. And I was like, oh, I will get on that thing. Like, <laughs> Just leave it there and I will get on there. And I just, you know, like so awkwardly and like it's just you hope that you know no one ever has to see you in that kind of compromised situation but (laughs) I got on it so they said okay you can go home because you can manage that and that but then there was also the question if the wheelchair could get into the bathroom door because I have an old house and it was like if it can't get through that door 
then I have to go to like a facility, you know, where I can wheel into the bathroom. But luckily, Drew took the door off and uh, it just barely fit. You're like, I will take this wall out. (laughs) I would have before. Go to a home. (laughs) We're going to turn this entire house into a bathroom. (laughs) Yeah. When yeah. you, you like you start you, like you woke up that morning and everything was fine and within days yeah. that is the the test like you yeah, I know can you use a bathroom I mean it's amazing yeah. how life can shift when, oh, when the bathroom was I mean it was just challenging <laughs> when you the, sh- the shower you know I mean right. if people you know anybody who's had a major surgery just knows that this whole shower situation and just like having to rely on someone to like bathe you and it's just it really gives you a new perspective about how just lucky you are to be able to like get around and, and be independent. Right. When, when you, when you speaking of the fans are reached out, like was it, it's hard at times to understand the impact you have on people. You, you can only, you can only see or hear so much, but did you understand you said you were just kind of blown away by that. And it, and it is, it's gotta be overwhelming to see people you don't even know that are giving money towards your recovery. And were you able to understand that you've had that impact on them enough for them to reach out and, and, and want to help you? I was really surprised that people were so giving, you know, and so like generous with their well wishes and their praise. And I mean, it means more than you can even imagine when you're, when you don't know what your future is and this immense uncertainty for me I'm not good with uncertainty so like just being in the state of limbo it really felt like the fans or like my friends you know they held me up they really did and um I was just grateful you know I guess I would do the same thing you know for someone that I kind of cared about which is like a lot of musicians that I don't that I don't know but that I appreciate so much what they've given me but yeah it is surprising it feels really great it made me feel like this thing that I kind of dedicate my life to it matters you know which is like that's what I was talking about like the things you take away from these traumatic experiences like if you can come out on the other side with the feeling of like what you spent you know most of your adult life doing made a difference to someone then that's pretty great (laughs) you know i i just feel like oh i you know i could die like (laughs) happier and and i don't know just i'm not gonna take it all for granted ever again you know yeah it sounds like um at this point you're at a really good like mental headspace with that experience and coming away you know everybody ultimately wants to be a contribution Right. And and to have their contributions recognized. But I wonder um, in the healing time or the recovery time or even right after the accident, when you were wondering about your future, um, how did that impact your mental health? Were you questioning if you were going to be able to continue to play music? Were you questioning what that would uh, mean for you as a person or a musician or even your identity. Do you, did you feel like you were grappling with that? Recently, before the accident, I had quit Slater Kinney. And I think that at that time, I sort of had seriously grappled with that notion of like, who am I without 
this band as, you know, such a huge part of my life and, you know, of my creative world and, um, you know, what, what is that going to mean for my identity? And I think I, I had sort of worked through a lot of that already so that by the time the accident happened, things were kind of more simplified in my mind than they had been for, you know, 10 years, I think before that, um, where I had sort of, you know, decided on a path and, um, really thought through it and kind of examined all of the, what, what the consequences would be from my decisions and, you know, really kind of like figuring out who, who am I now at this point in my life and what do I want and what, you know, what's the right path forward. So I kind of had done all that heavy lifting before the accident so that after the accident, things just got so small and compact, you know, and my world was just shrunk to this one room, you know, or two rooms. The bathroom, don't forget about the bathroom. (laughs) And the bathroom, one and a half rooms. And I, I had a hospital bed in the living room that looked out um, this picture window um, that looks out like onto the street with these trees and there's lots of birds and hummingbirds and butterflies and like I just lived in that world you know I, I couldn't read I couldn't watch tv there was like you know a month where I just had to let the trauma kind of settle down you know and like this stimulus for my brain was not happening. (laughs) I just had to be like really quiet and calm. And the thought of not playing music, it was there, but it was like something I was fighting back. You know, I just was like, I'm going to get well enough to play music again. And I wasn't sure like, oh, you'll be able to like, you know, go on tour or you'll be the same as you were. Or, um, you know, I think that's something you have to kind of come to terms with just getting older, you know, that like, I'm not going to be the same as I was. And especially getting all broken up when I'm, you know, not a kid is like a little bit harder to kind of recover. But mentally, having all that support helped me just be able to kind of sit with like, uh, the stillness, you know, and like, allowing myself to kind of not put on too many expectations, like right away. When did you first sit down in front of a a drum kit again? Like what was, how long after? I'm assuming you have. (laughs) Yeah, no, I guess after they told me I could start walking after 10 weeks. I was two weeks early on the weight bearing. Like they said, okay. Yeah. This one day they just, you go to the appointment and they're like, okay. Yeah, you can go. Weight bear. Yeah, get you. (laughs) Still trying to get you to Like my arm especially was like. I would do exercises, but not to have your arm. It's like a drag, you know? So that came first. And he's like, yeah, use it. I'm like, well, do, is there like, do I ease back in? He's like, no, just, (laughs) if you can do it, you're fine. Like do what you can. And so I was going to physical therapy and they were helping me know, like, what can I do? Cause you don't, you know, it's like, well, that hurts, but is that something I shouldn't do? And a lot of times the answer is, you should do it even if it hurts. Like you're not going to basically I've got huge plates in there in my leg and in my shoulder. And that's like, it's bolted down at this point. So you have to like push through some of the pain. Your, your physical therapist. I mean, I don't know too many physical therapists who specialize in like drum movement. 
you know, like you usually have like a runner go in there and be like, okay, yeah. I hurt myself running. I need physical therapy, but you, you, you don't have at least, I don't know, maybe there's a specialist out there, but you, you <laughs> probably, I mean, how do you like explain what your drumming movements are? I mean, did your physical therapist, like, did you give them drumming videos or? He kept saying like that he didn't want to. He's like, I'm not going to watch any of your videos. Like, he didn't want to see them for some reason. I don't know. I, I remember telling the surgeons numerous times, like, I'm a drummer. I have to be able to, like, I need my range of motion. Like, that's for my arm especially. Like, I need my range of motion for my left arm. So, like, lay it on thick, you know, with like, whatever I need to do for my arm. And the physical therapy, I don't know why he's. I think he just did his thing. He's like abduction, adduction, okay, flexion, extension. All right, you're good. I think he just (laughs) did, you know, he did the usual stuff. And uh, it was was really helpful. After that, I joined a gym, which was great, because then I could just go do it on my own. And, And then... COVID happened, and then all the gyms closed. (laughs) Well, I was going to ask you about that. So, you know, you had the um, band breakup and then the accident, and then you're recovering from the accident, and then whatever sort of the next steps were for your trajectory with playing music and possibly touring, and then it's like COVID, bam. Right. It's like the gym closed, but so did the clubs, and so did the tours. And so so how are you doing with sort of – you know, making it through this accident and then like, bam. Right. So let me go back one, one moment to where I started playing music again, which was, I was still in the wheelchair and I started to just like compose things like on GarageBand, just kind of working on just some little musical pieces, just not songs, but just little parts. And then uh, we set up my electronic drum kit in the office where I am now so I could just wheel in and sit and play the electronic kit, which was great. And I could play the electronic kit into the, you know, I could record into my computer, to GarageBand, and make these little compositions, I guess, which have kind of stuck around. And, like, a few of them have become slang songs, which slang is my band with Drew. So... Hopefully those, like, he's really hanging on to those tight. Like, these are the first compositions you made when you were still in the wheelchair, and I want to make sure that we, you know, they see the light of day. So maybe someday those will be actual songs. But I just kind of started doing what I could. Um, My right leg is the, my kick pedal leg is the one that got broken. So that's like, I still feel it some when I play. I don't know. I was very determined to like, I'm not a super techie drummer anyway. And like, part of me feels like simple drums are as good as not simple drums half the time. You know, like you kind of get on that treadmill of like, I have to get better, 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 better. I need to be, you know, you see someone else doing something super cool and I want to do that. (laughs) (laughs) But I had to kind of like, just not think about that stuff for a while. Like, I just want to do what I can do. And, you know, I feel pretty good. I feel like I can, I'm not sure if I have the stamina to like play an hour and a half straight, but I can definitely play, you know, <laughs> I can play well enough, like for rock, you know, I can, <laughs> I'm not a jazz musician, luckily. So yeah, that's kind of how 
I came back and then Sam would come over and like I would play the electronic kit in my wheelchair. It's, Sam was incredibly supportive and I could see on his face that it shook him, you know, <laughs> like, I mean, I do feel like I was one foot away from dying, you know, like if right. that car had hit the door and not the tire, like that would have been it. Like I would have been smashed. And I think that's, I would not wish that upon anyone, but it's an eye-opening experience where you're like, you know, you almost die and you don't. <laughs> and and you can recover, you know, and you're going to be okay. Like, it's just, you just feel so grateful. Well, I mean, through this, it sounds like you've been, you know, pretty strong-willed and you've stayed positive. And how do you see where you are now and where you're going? I know we have the pandemic to deal with. So yeah. all musicians are on hold for the most part, but they're still making music. They're still, in fact, we were just, I was just talking to another DJ today and we were saying, you know, at first when music was coming out, the pressure on musicians during the pandemic was kind of fucked up. Like yeah. it's up to the musicians now to create all the songs that are going to answer all the political questions <laughs> and the pen. it's like, you know what? They are also going through a pen. And I heard from so many <laughs> musician friends, like, dude, I am just trying to get through today. I don't have money. I'm scared of this pandemic or so-and-so sick or whatever it might be. But now we're coming out of it and we're starting to see, I think, um, in 2021, one of the most phenomenal years of music so far, I, I remember in recent history, music is starting to come out more. Musicians are holed up and not, not being distracted by the touring or anything else except creating music. So we're seeing more of that. How do you see your creativity and, and, and sort of your, your outlook after this wreck um, going forward? Before the pandemic, I really tried to jump back in pretty quickly. Like I booked some tours with Sam and double duty tours with quasi and slang. And I, you know, I'm just like, I'm just going to do it. Like I may not be able to carry like my bass drum, but you know, I'm just going to do it and I'm going to make it work. And in a way, not having to do that probably helped me. <laughs> I, you know, I now that in hindsight and I like seeing where I am today, physically and mentally, like I don't think I was ready to like go on tour at that right. point, you know, but I was, in a way, I just wanted to, like, you know, like, thank these people, that, like, all these people that helped me so much. And I wanted to, like, get out there and play and see them. And, um, you know, in a way, it's sad that we didn't get to do it because now things got so messed up with the pandemic. But physically, I probably needed another good six months to, like, get to heal. So now I have a day job as well as being a musician uh, where I work on TV shows and movies doing which, locations. Which also were not affected at all from the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, but those have, you know, those have started up and did, oh, good. I did work on two shows last year, um, you know, in a very different capacity with COVID and protocols and safety measures. Um, but I think that was a good way for me to like get back into the world that's not so physically demanding as playing music is. And it allowed quasi and uh, slang both to kind of work on new material a little challenging to practice with the masks and you know air purifiers and all that stuff but but we you know we managed to do it and we send stuff back and forth and when I'm in like worry mode like if I wake up in the middle of the night or you know like everybody has their times when they worry like my thing is at night or in the middle of the night and I think like are we ever going to get back, you know, but then I wake up and I feel more hopeful and I feel like, you know, I think we will. 
And if we don't, we'll figure out a way to be together somehow. Yeah, I, I was talking to someone about the music industry and touring and how when this pandemic gets better, there's people saying um, that, well, you know, the machine is such that there's so many people out of work and there's so many um, issues um that'll take a long time for bands to ramp up and to make music. I'm like, I don't think you understand musicians or yeah. this industry. They have been challenged their entire lives to make a living at something that is very difficult to make a living at, to make shows out of nothing to create with, you know, and be, and basically MacGyver everything, you know, at some point yeah. I thought, I think maybe the bigger, maybe the massive touring machines, maybe the infrastructure has to build up, but I'm very hopeful that, that even regionally, right. Portland, Seattle, these strong music cities that you're going to see us appreciation for those musicians in your towns a little bit more and those who come to town or am I just, yeah, no, just very I, hopeful? I, I think that's definitely, definitely going to happen. I, I mean, I almost think like, you know, there's, I'm sure there's silver lining to the pandemic too, as far as people taking music for granted, you know? Right. I mean, it honestly just stopped on a dime, you know, like, and I used to think like, let's strike. We should have a musician strike, you know, like musicians aren't getting paid and people are just streaming and the streaming companies are ripping off the artists and mm-hmm. people aren't thinking about like the ecosystem, you know, like, you know, like when I started playing music and there was like this ecosystem, this underground scene of like the clubs, the musicians, the studios, you know, everything was very small potatoes, but each part of the ecosystem supported the other part. Um, and I did sort of feel like things were getting very like big, you know, and like corporate and commercialized. And that's just not really my world. Um, and I don't want to live in that world. That's not the world I want for myself. So I feel like this might kind of break things down to like what it really is, which is like sharing this thing with people. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't know if there will be a living there to be made, but I think you're right that musicians will figure it out as long as there's not too much interference from like the corporate interests which sometimes can come along and like co-opt the smaller stuff sort of gobble that stuff up so that it's it's not there um but i think the pandemic just kind of was the great leveler you know just kind of like the cipher came through and just kind of knocked everybody down and you know you can see bands musicians like crawling back up you know poking their heads up and like okay we can come out now and like do our thing you're you're a musician so you're part of the creative the creators, right? The the content creators, you're putting the music out there. And then I've heard from a lot of just people, consumers who love going to live shows, express that they feel like they've lost a part of, part of their identity during the pandemic. Wow. Because going to live shows was so much of who they are. And they've even likened it to their mental health. That going to shows is how I socialize with my people, how I sort of let loose from my whatever job I have, right? And I'm and I'm really me. Like they, they liken to going out to see live music as who they really are, wow, right? that's so great. And so they get to see their people they get to bond over the music, bond over their favorite bands, and have that live experience. And I've heard from numerous people, even in my practice as a doctor, I hear patients say, I really miss going to live shows. I feel like I'm missing a part of my identity. And so I'm hopeful that consumers will still continue to be you know, supportive of not just the commercial music machine, 
but that will really, really appreciate those smaller shows and being in that intimate experience in a club. But, you know, just from that other perspective, I think that people are desperate for their mental health and their identity and their social life and just feeling like that's who they are. And they're so desperate for it that I, I really am hopeful that live shows will just explode. Yeah. I hope well, so too. It, it's more meditative than I realized for me. I, I, I like going and seeing music, right? And what Amy's saying is so true. Like my mental health is I'm in the moment, nothing else is in my mind and I'm around community. And, and I, I don't, I mean, that seems so obvious now, but I think that's why I liked it so much. Yeah. And I think the more time we spend not in the moment, you know, with like the politics and social media and, you know, which is all very integral part of our lives at this point. But there is that sort of inexplicable, you know, you lose yourself in a show or watching or playing. Um, People have asked me like, some question that involves what I look like on stage or something. And I'm like, I have no idea what I look like on stage. Like to me, I just look like it looks amazing. You know, like I'm like the superhero and you know, they'll say like, Oh, you, you know, you do this with your hair or you do, you know, you do this or that. And I'm like, I don't really, you know, like I'm not, thinking about that stuff. The goal is to like get in that moment, you know, and be in it with the people who are there. And it's like a one of a kind experience that you're never going to have again. And you just can't undersell that, you know, even like when something goes wrong or like someone's heckling or like whatever happens, it's just a sort of freedom that like, we don't always get to feel that. And I think People are really missing that in the pandemic because you just can't blow off steam and you can't just feel free. You know, you just feel constrained. I've been so like, I just don't want to get COVID, you know, because I was already stuck in my bed for three months and I just don't want to be sick. Like, I don't want to have to shut everything down for, you know, a week or 10 days or whatever, two weeks or a month. If it happens, it happens. But I'm trying really hard. I think if I hadn't been in the accident, I wouldn't be so like freaked out about it. That would be you like, know? that's the worst ending to your story. Like, you know, like, and then you go through all this and then she gets COVID. <laughs> I know. Right? I know. Like, it's the most like cliche, like ending to this movie I've ever uh. seen. And she just finally went out and played because she'd been constrained <laughs> for a year and, and then got COVID and died. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, you just throw the oh, death yeah, she's on there. Dead. In, the, in oh, my I'm mind, dying. the story ends in her death in COVID. I just got sick and died. <laughs> <laughs> There's something kind of poetic to wah, that. Wah. <laughs> but did we learn anything from Janet? Yeah. Well, yes, we learned about perseverance. <laughs> we learned and... she shouldn't have gotten COVID. <laughs> we learned she was just dumb right at the very end of this whole thing. Impatient and just made bad decisions. She did fine until the very end. <laughs> and then, a, and then a drummer joke or something, and then yeah. credits. And anyway. yeah, can I can I ask you dumb a couple dumb drummer questions? Yeah, it's like the most technical and least thing I'm knowledgeable in, and I'm so in admiration. I'm not just saying that, and it's always a drummer in in any of the situations I'm in. <laughs> You know, I'm always near at the end and in studio or whatever. And it's always the drummer's the last person out, first person in. And I'm always just like, wow, there's just so much going on there. And I was talking to Joe Plummer, our mutual friend, before this. And I was asking him, 
you have a lot of responsibility back there. I said, yeah, you shouldn't take us for granted. I said, I know. <laughs> I said, and I just, it hit me that you start the songs and you have to do your one, two. Th- and I said, does it happen that you just, you, you are doing the drummer start the song thing? I'm sure there's a technical name for it. And then completely <laughs> forgot what song you're starting because you're so interested in starting the song. He's like, yeah. And I'm like, it feels like you go from sort of you're there and you're important and it's happening. But when, if a drummer screws up, he, like he said, the car doesn't start. Like you are like the heartbeat. Yeah, of and, what's and everybody, happening. everybody hears it when you mess up. It's not like, yeah. you know, a guitar player can like bend the string if they hit the wrong note or they can, you know, like make a new melody. Like the drummer screws up and everybody, including your band, will turn around and like, give you the stink eye, you know, like what just happened? Like, yeah, the wheel just falls off. You just have to laugh really. Like, I mean, everybody's going to screw up. Every musician's going to make mistakes. I, hopefully you're just not in a band where like, you know, someone's going to get mad at you. Right. I'm sure that exists, but I just, I've never been in that kind of situation. <laughs> well, that's good. I mean, in quasi Sam definitely screws up more than I do. And it has become part of the act, you know, like, I mean, we'll stop a song three times and I'll just be like, come on, you can, like, come on, you can get it. And then we try it again. We screw it up. I mean, I just think it adds to the, you know, to the in the moment kind of vibe. Right. right. But yeah, I mean, I love that about playing drums is that you're definitely in control and like driving the thing. And that to me is really fun. Why, why was it drums for you? And was it drums first or were you, did you, did you no. play something? Was it something else first? I played guitar first that I faked my way like I I went to a guitar auction I was in high school and no one was there and it was at this club called the music machine which I had snuck into with my sister's fake ID and I saw like a flyer for this guitar auction I'm like I'm gonna buy a guitar but I don't want to have to play it because I don't know how to play it so I bought a guitar without playing at all at all but I play guitar sort of badly for probably five years before I oh was like, I want to be a drummer. And then I, I, like, very soon after deciding that I was going to be a drummer, which doesn't mean you are a drummer, uh, in my mind, I wanted to be a drummer, but I got asked to go on tour in a band. and As the drummer? Yes. And I... <laughs> Did you go home and practice really fast? Yeah, I, I, I said I have to see if I can learn to play the drums. <laughs> <laughs> What a strict and requirement. Then I had the definition of if you build it, uh, you'll <laughs> they, show they up will, and play the yeah. drums. Yeah. Yeah. And I had two weeks to kind of figure out if I could go on this tour. Well, it worked and out I, for you. And I did. And I knew I was terrible, but I did it anyway. Good for you. And Sam says I ruined the band because I was too good. So <laughs> if that gives you any indication of how terrible the band was. Well, it sounds like you found <laughs> found your lot in life. You yeah. Found, you found the... Uh, the sweet spot or like your, your zone. It definitely found me where like all of a sudden I was in a band and on tour and I just, I don't like to be that terrible at something. So I just dedicated myself to like, I'm going to get better or I'm going to figure out a way to like make it sound better. You know, like lots of cool drumming is just really primitive and simple. Right. So I think that's where I learned because I was like in a band, you know, I was like, well, I, I can't do all this fancy stuff. I have to like, I just want to make it like melodic, you know, so it's like part of the music and then, you know, learn things as you kind of go along. I just think that's awesome. I think you could (laughs) apply that to anything. You know, everything we want to do, we're not necessarily going to do or be good at. 
Yeah. And I think certain things like fit your person, you know, they fit Mm -hmm. your personality and like a super shy, quiet, timid person might not be able to stand playing the drums, you know, because you're just loud all the time. You can't just hide from it and like everyone hears you. It's, it takes a certain amount of like confidence in the fact that like people hearing you isn't the end of the world. (laughs) But you know, a lot of things about drumming just fit my personality and I think that's why it's stuck. So it is important for to try different things so you figure out like what you enjoy doing or what like what you're motivated to do, you know, like it takes so much effort to like do anything for 20, 30 years. It has to make you feel like yourself, you know? Yeah. It like brings you back to yourself so that you can just even if you change or your life changes, you still can like come back to this thing that's like, oh, that's, you know, like we we're talking about identity, like that's that's who I am. And those things become more important as you get older, too. As a DJ of 20 years, I can't agree more. <laughs> when I wonder why I still do this and not that, it's it hasn't taken over my identity, but it is definitely something where I get a lot out of it. So I'm able to keep doing it. Um, I want to just talk just, just, just a real quick bit of advice we can send out. If, if someone's listening and and they've been in a traumatic wreck or they've had a traumatic thing that derails their life like it did yours in a moment. What bit of advice do you have about getting through it? That moment, maybe when there's doubt, when it first happens or you're, you find yourself, your life has changed and you have no idea what direction, like what advice do you have for someone in that really fragile place that is going to kind of make or break how, how the rest of their life trajectory may go? I think realizing how important you are to your people, you know, whether that's one person, whether that's your cat, whether that's your dog, you know, like just realizing that being alive is enough, you know, for as long as it has to be enough until you feel strong enough to like have more incorporated into your recovery, taking it slow and not expecting too much of yourself. Just feeling your worth in the world like everyone you know is important in many different ways so just trying to hold on to that and stay positive and that like you matter and you're important I think is such a big part of recovery so surround yourself with the people who are gonna help you understand that and the people that make you feel bad just screw them (laughs) boot them there you go that's that's life advice That's pandemic advice. That's, that's my that's my advice. That's right. Appreciate life and get those bad people away from you. We could not agree more with that here in the Richards household. Jenna, thank you for thank you for spending time with us today. I really sure. appreciate seeing you, and I'm so happy you're doing better. And I really can't wait to see you live again. Um, I hope Quasi and your slang can come uh, up yeah. to the station. Great. Um, yeah, excellent. That'll make it easier I mean, for me. Been, it's been years now since I played a show, so it's gonna. Yeah. I'm going to have to really, I'm going to have to hold it together. I'm going to be a mess. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to be so emotional and so happy. I'll probably just play a like 24 minute drum fill, (laughs) which is not that different from what I usually do. Right, right. Sam will just sit down and be like, (laughs) let me know when you're done. Yeah, yeah. I deserve that. (laughs) You do deserve that. (laughs) Well, thanks for having me on.
We want to thank Janet Wise for hanging out with us today. She's amazing. She's uh, awesome. That was one of my most favorite conversations. I've interviewed a lot of people, but I just genuinely just think she's a good person who, who's got a great sense of humor in it. And just her view of her accident and her recovery, uh, I found very inspiring. Absolutely. That's like one of my favorite interviews for sure. Yeah. 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 She's awesome. Yeah. So thank you, Janet. You're the best. And we cannot wait to see you playing again. We're coming out of this Live. pandemic. And man, I will be there the next time. Quasi- I saw Quasi play a few times over the years, right? And like a lot of other bands, you know, I've seen them a few times, so I don't go out and see see them again. You know, like, oh, I saw them. I am never doing that again. I'm going to see you every time, bands. All right, we're in that part of the podcast where we're asking Dr. Amy Lindsay a question. And uh, there was a lot brought up in the Janet Wise interview. I, I kind of want to talk about that. Do you mind? No, let's go for it. Um, the, the part about community and um, having loved ones or friends around you when you're in the hospital, um, that it helps your recovery. I mean, that seems like a no-brainer, but I don't really see that um, anywhere in the you know, in the news, like, go, go do that, go bring family into the hospital. But that's a thing, right? Absolutely. There's a lot of research about people doing better and recovering faster when they have their friends and family around them during their recovery. And they've done studies in hospitals or just in general. And I've been thinking about this a lot during this pandemic. Because of the situation People couldn't just go to the hospital to be with their loved ones. Yeah, you saw a lot of that in the news, yeah. And it really got me, you know, just how, I don't know at what point we're going to process that grief or process that trauma, and especially to the hospital workers who were there, and they had to be the friends and family. Like, you hear those stories, and I just get, like, emotional thinking about that. Like, they had to be the medical provider and put themselves at risk. And there was so much we didn't know in the beginning, especially. And then they had to be the friends and family. They had to be there for those people. Yeah. When I look at the public who was signing off on higher risk people, quote fingers, people who are older, I wish they could see how I spent the ends of my mom and dad's lives. I was able to be there. I was there for both of the ends of their lives. And if COVID was going on, I would not have been there. It would have been a very different ending to their lives. Their their son would not have been there. Um, it's hard to believe so many people died alone or died with just the, their healthcare workers, their nurses, the doctors, who just got to know them when they went into the hospital. Right. And, you know, this happens all the time. It's not like people never die alone or right. hospital workers or other health professionals aren't the ones who are there at a death. But it doesn't happen at this level. Like this is a new <laughs> experience in modern life that um, so many people and even just being in the hospital and surviving and coming out whether no matter what you had right like you need to go to the hospital for whatever it was you were in a car accident <laughs> you need to go to the hospital and you couldn't you could I think you know in some cases like one person was allowed I know my mother fell and 
cracked her head open in the middle of all this. And thank God my brother happened to just come by the house that day. And I know that he was the only one allowed in there, you know, like my other brothers couldn't, you know, go in there. And it was, we didn't really know what was going on. And, um, that's really scary. You no, know, where, you know, there's all these rules and, and it, with good purpose, but it completely changed that dynamic of family and friend assistance and availability and advocacy and all those things that are so important to help someone who's going through a health crisis. So when we're coming out of this pandemic and, and people will go into the hospital, you know, I, I, I hope you don't, but you may. Uh, is there something you can do to advocate for yourself if, if you don't have a lot of family or friends around? Like, what do you do if you're if you're on your own and you go to the hospital and you don't have community? Is it should you have friends on call? Is it is it good if just friends show up? Yeah, I mean, it's good if you've got them. They there are medical liaisons. You know, I always tend to try to find a nurse or a medical <laughs> provider in the hospital who I kind of get along with, who I, you know, I kind of bond with or something. And then I, you know, start asking them a lot of questions and asking them if they can help me with something specific. And a lot of people are willing to, and they're, they're so, they're working so hard that to be able to care for people at that sort of level is kind of hard sometimes. And but it is hard to advocate for yourself in the hospital because you're vulnerable. You're depending on other people for your health. And you, you know, when I'm in the hospital, I'm like a pain in the ass patient because I'm a doctor and like, <laughs> I want to see my labs and I want to know what they're putting in my IV. And I'm even like, well, my blood pressure is low. Should you really be giving me that? And I'm kind of an ass and I don't mean to be, but I, I often think how does anyone get through this experience when they, if they don't know those things? That's right. And you're vulnerable. And so I think it's okay to ask a lot of questions. I think it's okay to be a little bit of a pain in the ass and to call your nurses and call and make sure you ask a lot of questions. Now, you may not be in a conscious state or in a clear-minded state, depending on medication or depending on the treatment. So um, if you can... Find a person, a friend, a family member, a medical liaison, someone who's there asking questions on your behalf, writing everything down on your behalf, and just checking in, checking in with you and checking in with your support team. Amy, I've been in the hospital with you a few times over the years, and I have to say, being married to a medical professional, I didn't have to ask the questions that you asked, but I certainly was there to hear the answers. Um, but we have so many stories of, you know, we talk about grief or death brings out like just, just stupid stories. Like, like just some of the weirdest, yeah, shit. weirdest, not all good, not all bad, just weird things happen when people die. Like everyone freaks out and there's just all kinds of, in their of, own ways. Yeah. Right? Like everything's weird. Like circumstances that you never thought you'd face weirdo relatives showing up and just weird things happening. People getting weird with money and. With, with the hospital, there's just always something, right? Like, I don't know about you, but I have so many stories from the hospital. A lot of them involve you. You've had a, a few things over the years. Yes. Um, I remember one where uh, I just remember getting, I had to leave. I wanted to stay with you. I, I've crashed pretty late at some hospital rooms with you before. Spent one night on an ER floor. Yeah. Um, but I have to go home because of the kids. So I have to leave you because I got to deal with the children. <laughs> I got back bright and early, you know, coffee in hand. And apparently there was a bloodbath the night before. <laughs> like, 
Uh, yes. You were just, you're never going to believe what happened last night. I'm like, oh, let me just sit down and get comfortable to hear this story. Yeah. So if you've spent a lot of time in the hospital, I have, unfortunately, <laughs> spent as a patient, you know, and I had this incident and, you know, this is just how things happen sometimes because I think a lot of hospitals are short staffed and a lot of the hospital workers are working so hard. And, you know, when there's a shift change, I'm not a hundred percent sure all the necessary information gets connected, like from one nurse to the next. And, and it's not their fault. They're awesome. I love you nurses. You're the best. And the, the new nurse on duty, the, the previous one had just been rocking it with me the whole time. And then the new one, I think overestimated my abilities. And, um, I had this, um, this is so gross, but I had this, like, it's called like a blood purse, right? Like <laughs> the blood coming out blood of your body from the, from the major operation I had just had, um, you know, was like attached to me and I wasn't supposed to get out of the bed, right? Like anytime I needed something, I was supposed to like ding for the, for the healthcare provider. And the new nurse came and said, no, what I need you to do is just swing your legs over and stand up on your own. And once you can do that, then you can ding me. And I think it was like, it just like was missing a piece of information about my recovery. (laughs) And, but even me, who's usually really great at advocating for myself set was like, Oh yeah, well maybe I should be able to do that by now. Like, Oh, maybe I should be able to stand up and, um, Oh, okay. Well, uh, they must know what they're talking about. And (laughs) I, stood up and immediately got lightheaded, of course, and couldn't stand and immediately crashed back down. And at the same time, this blood purse like came out of my body. This is so gross. I apologize. And just like sprayed the entire hospital room, the entire thing. It was Tarantino movie time. It Yes, it was. Like, you got to bring the forensics in. You've got to, I mean, it was bad. And so then they had to, like, move me into, like, a different bed and a different chair and a different situation with me all hooked up to all my stuff. And um, they had to, like, completely bleach down the room and change the bed. And I did get an apology. It's like, oh, I didn't know that you were not quite there. Well, whatever they're getting paid, it's not enough. It's not enough because then they were cleaning up. We're still getting our wine on, but we uh, we have time to to wrap up the uh, podcast today and thank uh, Janet Wise for uh, for spending some time with us today. We really appreciate her doing that. We look forward to seeing Quasi sometime soon. I hope you've been digging the music. We also should thank our friends, Ruinous Media, Joe, Pat, and Chris. I want to thank Michael Lerner, also known as Telekinesis. Uh, Michael stopped by the other day, and I got to tell him your song. It makes our podcast seem real. 
Yeah. <laughs> like we got a theme song. I learned yeah. that early in radio. I talked about it on an earlier podcast, but you get a theme song. You got a little authority. So we thank Michael. Telekinesis is awesome. If you don't know his music, go find it. You can also go to the doctor and the DJ.com and listen to previous episodes, buy merch. We got a lot going on on that website. You should yeah. go there. Yeah. If you want to keep up with, with uh, Amy and I, that's a great place to do that. You can follow me on Instagram, DJ John Richards. Dr. Amy Lindsay. I want to leave you with my favorite quasi song, Our Happiness is Guaranteed. Shows how